Hi everyone and welcome to For Fat's Sake, the ferrets podcast about misinformation and fact checking. I, as always, am your host, Ali Bryan, and alongside me, my faithful co-host, the Pythagoras of Polyphony, Paul Dobson. How are you, Paul? I'm very well. Once again, trying to get my head around uh, that opening segment. I do say faithful co-host does sound, make me sound a bit like a, a canine friend in a movie, but... <laughs> Uh, no, I'll sort of a, a, uh, just a friend, a friendly friend, okay, a faithful okay. friend, like the, all the best friends are faithful. Absolutely, absolutely, that's true. How are you getting on? I'm very well, thank you. I'm uh, yeah, excited. We've got a great couple of guests for this episode and some other good topics to talk about. So why don't we tell our faithful listeners what's coming up? Yeah, so we were speaking to vice journalists Anna Merlin and Tim Marchman about. A controversial but box office smash film called Sound of Freedom, which is coming out in UK cinema this this week. It's had a controversial launch in America and some interesting links to misinformation, which Anna and Tim will explain. Uh, And what else have we got coming up, Ali? Talking of controversy, we've uh, been uh, riling some people up with our fact-checking work, as per usual. Um, we uh, are going to talk a little bit about our um, fact check on a satirical video about Patrick Harvey and Hamza Yusuf. And uh, in your corner this week, you absolutely stitched me up with some quiz questions about misinformation, didn't you? Yeah, we'll see how you get on. Mm. So stay tuned to find out if my credibility is absolutely ruined in the second half of this podcast. Nice one. Shall we get on with it? Let's do it. My name is Anna Merlin. I'm a senior reporter at Vice News. My name's Tim Marchman. I'm an editor at Vice News. We're here today to talk about Sound of Freedom, a film coming out this week in UK cinemas. It's been quite a success uh, in the US and has got a lot of like press attention. But for those people who don't know about the film and about a bit of the background, can you just explain what it is about? So functionally, Sound of Freedom is the fictionalized story of a man named Tim Ballard who founded an anti-human trafficking organization called Operation Underground Railroad. Um, The film does not really focus on Operation Underground Railroad. It focuses on what is portrayed as Ballard's work at HSI, Homeland Security Investigations, and then it portrays him um, quitting HSI to embark on privately rescuing children from trafficking in other countries. That's the story that the film tells, um, the reality of the situation is pretty different. The story sort of seems on the surface to be relatively positive, uh, but there's obviously been a huge amount of controversy about some of the subtext involved. So I wonder if you could tell me like a little bit about how it came together. Yeah, so the background here is that the movie was made in, I want to say, 2019. 2018. 2018. And it was conceived of as a vehicle to publicize Ballard's efforts to uh, fight human trafficking by leading paramilitary missions privately funded um, in foreign countries. The, the, that's, that's the basic genesis of the movie. Okay. The movie was put on the shelf for quite a while, a number of years, uh, struggling to find distribution, especially during the pandemic. 
And during that time, Ballard's public profile changed quite a bit. In, uh, in the earlier part of his anti-trafficking career, he presented as a sort of apolitical former government expert who was cutting through government red tape to just do what needed to be done to save children. That right. isn't precisely what was really going on. But by the time the movie came out, he had really transmogrified into a sort of uh, hard right culture warrior with ties to the Trump administration, to uh, anti-vaccine people, and even to the fringes of the QAnon community. The star of the movie, Jim Caviezel, uh, mm -hmm. who famously played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, yeah. was much more fulsomely uh, promoting QAnon-adjacent theories uh, at various appearances he made. And so even before the movie came out, it had become a little bit of a... Um, a totem of mm. this kind of really hard right culture politics. And one of the reasons it's become really successful is that Angel Studios, a group out of Utah, and that like Ballard and OUR itself is, is tied to religious communities, really promoted the movie very heavily to um, faith-based audiences as something that they didn't want you to see, who they is, we can all okay. draw our own conclusions on, mm -hmm. and uh, telling people that the best way to support human trafficking uh, causes was to go see the movie and then buy tickets for other people to see the movie. I'm interested a little bit in Tim Ballard's background. We talk about him, his profile raising significantly in the last few years. Um, and from some of the reporting that Vice done, and you have done, uh, the two of you, it seems like it was a fairly like intentional like project of his to get much more, get more publicity and kind of become a figure in this area. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we've done in, you know, at this point, three years of reporting on OUR is we were sent a photo of a whiteboard that Ballard drew on in a meeting and it sort of connected all of these for-profit and nonprofit entities that he was connected to back to, him um, mm -hmm. with the sort of, I think, idea that he would become a, you know, sort of celebrity in his own right. But also um, uh, one thing that was written on the whiteboard said the sizzle of the rescue leads to the covenant, um, which right. the people that we spoke to took to mean that Ballard viewed one of his missions in starting OUR as using the rescues that they claim to be doing as a way to kind of build um, awareness of and hopefully bring people to the Church of Latter-day Saints. Um, Ballard is a really devout Mormon. Right. So from the start, OUR has kind of been a, um, uh, it has been a little bit about raising Ballard's profile, let's say, from the mm. start. He's he's formerly uh, a government agent. He claims to have been a CIA agent, which isn't true. He he worked at the right. CIA for a brief period. Um, all the reporting we've done indicates he would have been something like an intern for a brief period. Right. Um, he later goes to the Department of Homeland Security, specifically an investigative unit called Homeland Security Investigations. And he's portrayed himself as a very active overseas agent. He's definitely tried to give the impression that he's like a, he was a Jason Bourne figure. Um, right, the reality yeah. is probably more that he was working at a desk. At some point, and this is what the movie is about, he came to the conclusion that working within uh, 
you know, working within the government was not the most effective way to go about things. Okay. And <laughs> that's a pretty questionable notion. Uh, every anti, every anti-trafficking expert we've spoken to, and this includes government practitioners, non-government organizations, um, sex workers who were working against trafficking, just like a, a survivors, a big, wide, diverse group of people who don't agree on a lot, um, agree that one of the things you really need is government involvement just because you're looking at an international problem. There's also been criticism of Operation Underground Railroad's actual work. So I'm interested in sort of exploring how successful they actually are at stopping child trafficking mm. and whether, you know, some of the maybe slightly exaggerated claims from Ballard's past are also reflected in the in the work of Underground Railroad as well. So this is um this is primarily uh, the controversy is primarily drawn from our reporting, you know, like yeah. not to be, uh, not to be not humble about it, but uh, we are the people who, uh, along with um, a Utah journalist named Lynn Packer, who is really great, are the people who have done the most to kind of outline what OUR actually does versus what they say they do. Um, and the main thing that we have found is a pattern of pretty pronounced exaggeration and misrepresentation both of um, the extent to which they're involved in some of the operations that they claim to be, as opposed to, for instance, providing a small amount of funding to a law enforcement agency who then carries out um, a mission or a rescue of some kind. We, we have found a pattern of exaggeration and misrepresentation. And the story that we always talk about, because I think it's one of the clearest examples for people to understand, um, is the story of this uh, woman that they called Liliana. And uh, Ballard spoke about Liliana in congressional testimony. Um, OUR used her story numerous times on their social media pages. And they basically, um, I believe Mr. Ballard said that she was 11 or 12 when she was trafficked and that they, in his words, helped her escape her hell after she'd been trafficked for a number of years. So we were able to find the court records for the case that the person they call Liliana is involved in because it was a huge Mm -hmm. federal case in which like five of her traffickers who had also been trafficking other women went to prison. Um, And so what we were able to find out is, first of all, that Liliana was 14 when she was trafficked by a person she believed to be her romantic partner. So Mr. Ballard had made her younger, um, had presented sort of a misleading picture of what had happened to her. um, And that when she was 17, after years of horrific trafficking and sexual abuse, she rescued herself. She escaped. She um, called a cab and left which is incredible, you know, for someone that age who at that point, she had been trafficked from Mexico to New York City. She's in a foreign country. Um, It's pretty heroic. And OUR had told a very different story. And so this is one of those stories that we think um, really demonstrates the sort of ways that OUR had been uh, in the aggregate, creating a pretty misleading picture of what they did and how they did it. The other the other element of that is that they in their marketing materials over the years, They've heavily emphasized that they have, uh, you know, that their orientation was towards these paramilitary raids, basically that they had best of the best operators, Navy SEALs, members of special forces who would essentially parachute into locations, kick down doors and like save women and children from the clutches of their tormentors, which. Yeah. So we've talked to people who have participated on these missions. Any the, the the missions that would even come close to uh, meeting that description have generally been described to us as pretty bumbling and amateurish. Things like 
hmm. not knowing where the nearest hospital was, not surveilling the scene beforehand, different things like that. But even those kind of paramilitary uh, style missions were, were pretty quickly phased out of the playbook. The more right. usual approach was to just go to a kind of resort town where there was known to be, uh, you know, like red light districts. Mm-hmm. And for OUR operators, who in many cases were untrained people, just like donors, random real estate agents, people like that, to, you know, just flash money and ask for girls to be brought to them and to ask for, uh, you know, younger girls to be brought to them, to them if no, no minors were brought to them. And even that, after a little, after a little while, seems to have been largely phased out with the main oper- you know, the main emphasis of the organization going back now years being to um, provide grants to law enforcement for things like getting dogs that can sniff out electronic devices or underwriting police going to trainings that were being held by other people, and then essentially taking credit for any arrest they did. So is there actual evidence of um, OUR actually directly saving traffic children from the circumstances they're in? No, no, it's it's a fair question. It's hard to say... I would say, yes, there is evidence of their involvement in operations where rescued traffic, rescued children who were trafficked have been rescued. Um, But the ones that we know about tend to be very big, complex operations involving, you know, multiple law enforcement agencies, multiple governments, um, not ones where they, you know, Halo jumped out of a helicopter. Okay. broke into uh you know a secure site and, and, and spirited uh spirited children out or any anything like that earlier today i was just on the um our website looking at their way they they frame everything and it's and you say it's it is very similar to how the film is framed in that sort of like raids and that sort of stuff and almost framing like child sex trafficking as some sort of like conspiracy like huge pedophile rings and mm. you know kind of interconnected in this way they're sort of breaking up these things that exist underground that you don't know about which obviously is there that these things do exist but does it play into a sort of conspiracy narrative about you know because we, we, we all know the kind of elite child sex ring type conspiracies that go around does it play into those sort of narratives and do they like work with those sort of narratives so it's worth saying that OUR has very explicitly denied any connection with like any conspiracy theories or conspiracy related Mm -hmm. group. The reason why they had to do that is because um, years ago, Tim Ballard uh, sort of involved himself in the um, discussion over Wayfair. Um, QAnon and related groups in the US started claiming that the furniture company Wayfair was trafficking children through their website which was obviously ridiculous. Um, and so Mr. Ballard, you know, made a video saying something like with or without Wayfair, children are being sold online in this way, which was sort of taken as like a tacit kind of, um, uh, approval of some conspiratorial ideas since then, um, you know, OUR has come out really strongly saying, no, we don't support any of that. Right. Um, and in the time that he was with the organization, Tim Ballard definitely did not, after that point, say anything that would have, you know, excited um, QAnon conspiracy theorists. As we've reported, he's since left the organization following an internal investigation. Um, and one of the things he did after he left OUR was he went on a podcast with Jordan Peterson, you know, who's another kind of 
right wing figure here, kind of a mo- yeah. motivational speaker, yeah. for lack of a better word. Um, and <laughs> in that podcast, uh, Mr. Ballard started talking about adrenochrome, which is, of course, a QAnon idea, which is you know a substance that um, QAnon believers claim tr- uh, children are uh, tortured and killed to have it removed from their bodies and you know injected into the veins of the elites to give them eternal life or whatever. Um, interestingly, though, Mr. Ballard claimed that adrenochrome is harvested by African witch doctors who are committing child sacrifice and child mutilation, which is not a claim that I have ever heard specifically from QAnon or anybody else. That's kind of right. his own his own spin. But that was the first time he okay. used the word adrenochrome, unlike Jim Caviezel, the star of the movie, who talks about this stuff all the time. Yeah, the in a, in a bigger sense, one of the reasons we've continued with this reporting for a few years now and found it fascinating is they absolutely are playing to broader and very inaccurate narratives about what trafficking is. I think there's an idea, yeah. you know, I don't know how true this is in the UK, but certainly in the U S there's an idea in the popular imagination that there are these um, shadowy rings of elites preying on children and that their needs are provided for by shadowy rings of international traffickers. One of the things Ballard talks a lot about is that trafficking is the, biggest international crime because you can only sell a gram of cocaine once, whereas you can sell a child over and over again. And it is absolutely true that there are rings of um, people who in various circumstances abducted children, um, you know, trafficked them, sold them. These are horrible crimes that there are, uh, you know, people investigating, working on and prosecuting uh, all over the world. There's, you know, definitely a need for for awareness of that. But there's also a need for awareness of the, the reality of trafficking, which is that the, the vast, vast majority of, of human trafficking is labor trafficking. Um, mm-hmm. Sex trafficking is a small subset of that. And a small, very small subset of sex trafficking involves what most people think of as most sex trafficking, which is like someone being kidnapped and pressed against their will into, you know, sexual servitude. Um, most of the time it involves someone who's known to the victim. Um, it can yeah. be, you know, a family member, a romantic partner. The idea that a lot of people have, and that's encouraged by groups like OUR and figures like Ballard is that they need to be very worried because someone's going to hop out from behind a bush, snatch their kid, put them in a shipping container yeah. and bring them yeah. off somewhere. This and is the Hollywood just, version of it really, isn't it? Yeah, it's extraordinarily rare. It does it does happen, um, but you know the 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 vast majority of of trafficking and of, of sexual abuse more generally is is a lot closer to home, and so by playing into that narrative in various ways, whether it be you know a hard version where you're talking about adrenochrome and and kind of winking to QAnon, or you know a softer version where you portray it as um, a commercial enterprise on par with cartels doing drug trafficking, mm. it's giving a really misleading notion of, of what the problem is and thus what the, what the solutions are. Okay, Ali, so last week you fact-checked a viral so-called parody video of the Green Leader Patrick Harvey made by a Twitter account called Mercurius Scott. 
So mm. what did the video show? Yeah, so the video essentially showed Hamza Youssef and Patrick Harvey imagined as if they were on uh, the popular BBC show Dragon's Den. And it sort of intercut bits of speeches from the two men with sort of damning uh, critiques from the Dragon's Den dragons. And why has it been controversial? What were they depicted as saying in the video? Specifically, Patrick Harvey was depicted as saying a number of different things which were not accurate in terms of what he'd said. But specifically, one section of it had him saying, for the well-being of most people in the world, industry is dying, will die, must die. The screen grab was cut by a number of people on uh, social media and shared about as if it was a genuine quote from Patrick Harvey. Right, so what did Harvey actually say then, and why was this false? The bits that were used in the video were, came from various parts of a speech that Harvey made uh, in November 2020 to Edinburgh and Lothian's Regional Equality Council um, at a conference they were having. And in the speech uh, he made uh, in 2020, he makes a, a case against new investment in the fossil fuel industry and talks about how many of the reductions in emissions that we'd seen up to that point were was a result of deindustrialization rather than policy choices from government. He basically goes through like the various green arguments against the fossil fuel industry and talks about like how the government should be improving its green policies. At one point in the speech, he says the arguments that the green movement brought to the table in the 70s and 80s, that there were limits to growth, that argument still holds strong. Most politicians and economists have still not moved away from the idea that everlasting economic growth from a finite planet is either achievable or meets the social needs for the well-being of most people in the world. So that's for the well-being of most people in the world. That's one half of the quote that's in the Mercurius video. Okay. But then later in the speech, like a number of minutes later, he talks about how fossil fuel lobbyists should be excluded from COP, which was at that point was delayed because of uh, COVID, uh, COP26 that was in Glasgow, and the pension funds should stop investing in the fossil fuel industry. Um, the end of the speech, he says, if we did stop investing in fossil fuel industry, that would signal that, quote, we recognize the fossil fuel industry is dying, will die, and must die, and we should not be investing in the delusion that it has a long-term future ahead of it. So firstly... That's two sections of the speech that have been cut together. So from the well-being of most people and the bit about industry dying have been taken from two separate bits of the speech. And the phrase that's missed out by Mercurius is fossil fuel. So he's talking about the fossil fuel industry and how it must die, not industry in general, which is where the misleading edit comes in. Yeah, so it seems like a pretty clear case of selective editing there. Mm. Um, but there has been quite a lot of responses to the fact check almost accusing us of losing our sense of humor yeah uh, and saying that the fact check wasn't necessary because the video was satire or parody mm -hmm. so can you just explain why you decided to fact check uh, that video yeah well the reason we fact checked it unquestionably it's not intended to seriously suggest that Patrick Harvey and Hamza Youssef are in front of the Dragon's Den, so that obviously there's an element of parody there. <laughs> are we aware of that? But the reason we fact-checked it, and the reason we fact-checked other things which are lean towards satire uh, in the past, is when they're being shared, and bits of them are being shared, they're being shared as if they're serious. So a screen grab from the video with the, the false quote from Patrick Harvey was being shared about all over social media by a number of different kind of prominent accounts. So that is misinformation. That is uh, a misleading uh, claim that's being shared about because people don't necessarily know the context. Satire being repackaged as non-satire is an incredibly common way in which misinformation can spread. 
Yeah. Um, and you know, there's numerous examples of that over the history of the, the last decade or so. Um, but all it takes for you know satire to become non-satire in the eyes of people who view it is for it to be taken out of context. So if a, if a screen grab gets taken of a video with a quote from Patrick Harvey and then shared separate from the context of the video that it's in. So that becomes uh, a misleading statement. And even in the video itself, I mean, you can make the argument that it's satire, but it is a, it is a dishonestly edited quote. Yeah. And a lot of people, even and even if you're aware that the, the general tenor of the thing is meant to be satirical, then you're not necessarily going to know that that quote within it is edited and is actually false a false picture of what his views are. So, Wally, I'm sure you're aware, but this week marks the first anniversary of the seminal talk TV show that was The Woke That Was. Have you heard of that? No, talking of satire, no, I haven't. Okay, well, in case that programme has also passed our listeners by, it's a sort of quiz show that claims to test panellist knowledge of the week's culture wars. So to mark the occasion, I thought on this edition of Paul's Curiosity Corner, we could do a quick-fire quiz on the week in misinformation and fact-checking. So I'll ask the questions and we'll put your knowledge to the test. Oh, God. Okay. Quizzing your beat. Come on. So first up, your starter for 10. Which disgraced 80s celebrity was falsely rumoured to have showed up at the protests over the extension of London's ultra-low emission zone this week? Uh, that would be Gary Glitter. That's correct. So can you just describe a wee bit about the, the image that appeared on social media? Uh, well, there was a picture that was of uh, anti-ULES protesters, and one of them, the the people pictured superficially looks like Gary Glitter. I'm not 100% sure if it wasn't him, but my understanding is that he is in still in prison, so it seems unlikely. Okay, that's one from one. Okay, number two, the UK government was accused of lying about the state of the country's environment and environmental protection by a normally mild-mannered campaign group this week. Can you tell me who that was? No. Who was it? It was the RSPB. Oh, do you know I was going to say the RS? Oh, I was going to say the RSPB. That's really annoying. You don't want to. You don't want to cross the RSPB. You don't want to cross no. the Twitchers. That's a big organisation. That's true. Yeah. Okay, one from two. Third one, the first Republican debate took place without Donald Trump last week, but that didn't stop it being a hotbed of misinformation. But which candidate falsely claimed that climate change was a hoax and that more people were dying of bad climate policies than actual climate change? It's a crowded field. I'd have to say, I don't know this for a fact, but I would say Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, there was a lot of quite yes. misleading claims thrown about in that debate, but I think Ramaswamy was kind of leading the field somewhat. Yeah, certainly seems uh, to be. Certainly. Okay, question four. Speaking of Trump, he's been causing a customary amount of controversy recently, but in between that, he's taken time out to, he claims, win the Seniors Golf Championship at one of his US courses. So... I'm going to test a bit of your golf knowledge here. Right. Can you tell me what score he claims to have got in winning that competition? I... Th was it 67? Yes, it was 67, which is five under par, which is what I've got written down as my answer here. Yeah. Which, uh, for non-golf fans, is incredibly good. That is basically. good, yeah. Isn't that yeah. sort of like... 
USPGA standard. <laughs> it's kind of professional, yeah, professional yeah. standard. But maybe he did. We don't, mm. we don't know that for sure. So yeah, uh, okay, that's three out of five. So you're you're on a passing mark. But if you really want to excel, you need to get this one right. Right. So finally, a multiple choice question to round oh, us no. out. India became the first country to successfully land a spacecraft at the moon's south pole last week. But with the successful mission came a raft of misinformation too. So what did one viral picture online claim the country had left on the moon? Is it A, a cricket bat? Right. B, a model version of the Taj Mahal? Or C, a permanent version of the country's national emblem? I'm going to say C. Yeah, you're correct. I mean, it was yes. kind of the most... <laughs> it was the most reasonable. Yeah, so yeah. people online claimed that on the tyre tracks of the craft that had landed, there was a version of the country's logo, and because of the atmosphere on the moon, it would remain there forever, but the right. image was actually faked. Yeah. So there we go. Pretty good. Faked four out of five. Four out of five, can... not bad. So I can yeah. come back next week. That's all we've got time for for this episode of For Fact's Sake. Thanks so much to Anne and Tim for uh, their insights. And make sure you uh, head to Vice and follow their reporting on Operation Underground Railroad and Sound of Freedom. They're really the only reporters that have been doing really in-depth investigative stuff about that organization. Paul, if people want to get in touch with us about any fact checks or anything, what can they do? Uh, you go to social media. We are on X or Twitter at Ferret Scott. We're also on Facebook, just the Ferret, um, and we're also on Instagram, LinkedIn, and I think that is an exhaustive list. Mm. Uh, we also worked out that we're on Pinterest recently, but don't go. There's not much going we, on there from us. Yeah, there's yeah, uh, yeah. Our Pinterest page is not particularly exciting. Um, <laughs> Other than that, we're also at our community forum, which is community.theferret.scot, where we are constantly hanging around, asking questions, engaging with journalists. So go there and we will see you there. Excellent. And remember, you could email me directly, factcheck at theferret.scot, if you want to target your comments. Um, but please make them mostly nice. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.